game Devil's Advocate, in which I will read a proposition and then we will roll uh, a d20 die each. And we're going to be doing that on an, an online um, gaming platform, roll20.net. And so it's randomized, properly randomized. And whoever gets the, the higher role will take the affirmative. So we'll be supporting the proposition. And whoever gets the lower role will be uh, um, the negative. Um, and then after we do this for half an hour, strictly half an hour, we'll cut it off at half an hour. I'll be running a timer. Then we will we'll break it down and have a discussion. So the ideal here is that we're modeling uh, a, a balanced discourse between two uh, interlocutors, between two people speaking together, debating, who have opposing viewpoints, but are nonetheless able to engage in a, uh, in a rational and um, balanced exchange. Okay, so the proposition today is this. Non-native species are alien and damage the integrity of ecosystems. Their eradication must therefore be a priority for conservation efforts. Okay, so do you want to roll first? Okay, I roll first. 19, beat that. <laughs> okay, so I can confirm that Yoha has rolled 19. So I am now rolling... And I have 18, which is pretty high, but um, not high enough. Okay. So, Yoha, you are defending the the proposition. I'm, def I'm defending the proposition. Okay, so I, let me start, yeah, the, let me I start guess the time. There are many angles one can say, one can take here. But yeah. I will start with the, um, uh, like the species that we are losing due to invasive species, right? Okay. So, in a lot of cases, we will, uh, we as humans, introduce unnative species such as rodents or, you know, uh, like things for hunting, like foxes, into lands that are not, um, not, not so much, like suited to them uh, to the point where they don't have uh, natural predators or natural enemies. So they will change the ecosystem to the point where a lot of native species will disappear because they just can't combat with the newly coming predators. So uh, a good example would be like birds in New Zealand, which were eradicated, like a lot of them, a lot of species were put onto the brink of extinction by rodents. Or, and especially like land-dwelling uh, birds, which is actually happening in a bank global thing. So like in here in Okinawa, there is an Okinawan rail and people introduced uh, first rodents to, uh, just because it came with ships, right? It came with crates and stuff and food. And uh, rodents started to eat chicks and eggs of Okinawan rail. And so Okinawan rail population began, began to be declining. And then, for whatever reason, harbors, uh, Taiwan harbors got introduced. And they put the Okinawan rail population even further down to extinction. And then uh, human introduced mongoose to combat uh, Taiwan harbors. But instead, mongoose decided that eating Okinawan rails is even better. And so now we pretty much don't have Okinawan rails. So it still exists, but we don't have it. And uh, so by that, we basically uh, de decrease the uh, diversity of ecosystems. And we know that diversity of ecosystems is the signifier of a healthy ecosystem. And we need healthy ecosystems for them to persist and be able to adapt to the climate change and human-made uh, changes over the environment. Mm -hmm. So for the record, for those who don't know, the, the Taiwan habu is a species of pit viper. It's a, it's a species of venomous snake. Uh, and there are, of course, native, uh, closely related species of pit viper that do occur in, in, in Okinawa, which I think is an important point. So, you know, I, I agree, of course, that non-native species may be a problem. But I personally, I think that they've been unfairly maligned and they've been unfairly uh, characterized as the problem or as the biggest problem. And I think this is for a fairly simple reason, which is that it's very easy to single out an individual non-native species, an individual invasive species, and direct our uh, efforts at that, but also to direct really our, our emotions at that. We can, it's an easy category that we can malign. We can not like this thing. 
Whereas the, the reality is that, of course, ecosystems are extremely complex in general, and they are also archetypally open systems. So there are always species coming in from outside. Now, I certainly agree that humans have sped up this process, that we have, uh, we have introduced species all over the world in a way that, that wouldn't have happened without our intervention. But I think what we're really seeing is we're seeing the impact of humans as a niche-modifying species. Humans' niche, the niche of humans that we've evolved to occupy, is that of the niche modifier. Wherever we go, we modify ecosystems to suit us. And unsurprisingly, this can have a catastrophic impact on the species that have evolved to inhabit that ecosystem that we are now modifying. In many cases, we do bring invasive species with us as well, either accidentally, like rats, as you mentioned, or we intentionally introduce things like foxes in Australia so we can hunt them, or cane toads, which we introduce as a form of biological control. And they certainly have an impact, but I think that the overall impact is caused by us modifying ecosystems. And what we see is that the more adaptable species, the synanthropic species, those that can live alongside humans, do well whether they are invasive species or not. So in a lot of cases, we have a native species that is very specialised to a certain kind of habitat. It can't do well in an extensively modified habitat, and so it declines. When an invasive species comes in, they may accentuate that decline in some cases, but the real issue is not the invasive species. It's the habitat modification and destruction in the first place. And we actually know of numerous cases where invasive species introduced into a declining habitat, they might have a negative effect on some members, some native members of that ecosystem, but they might have a positive um, effect on others. And even things like the much maligned cane toads are a little bit like this. You know, it's always been considered to be the apocalypse for any um, frog predators in Australia. Wherever the cane toads go, all the frog predators decline. But actually what we see is that some predators do indeed decline, but then species that are typically predated upon by the cane toads which may themselves eat frogs and so have been identified as, as a species threatened by the introduction of the cane toad, we actually see that their population increases because their key predators have been moved out. So my basic argument is that, yeah, invasive species, they might be an issue, but I don't think that eradicating them is the priority for conservation efforts. I think, well, I think we can, we can have a, a more detailed discussion about what that priority should be. But ecosystem integrity is what is important here. And we might have to come around to a point of view where we realise that in order to have ecosystems with integrity, we are now at the point where we have to acknowledge that these will be novel ecosystems, which include some introduced or alien species. Uh, and that we can't simply eradicate them as our as our primary motivation. Um, okay, so whether it is a priority or like you know whether it's one of the priorities or whether it's the priority, I guess this is you know up to the discussion in general. Uh, because you know like obviously you no, know, it all plays together into having a healthy ecosystem in the end, but. I guess my point here would be that in order to have a healthy ecosystem, the ecosystem has to be diverse. I'm basically like continuing on that, right? So uh, if you disrupt the um, you know species diversity, for instance, as you said, right, you will you disrupt the uh, populations of you know some predators, and then whoever they were preying upon, uh, the, their population increases, and so that will inevitably uh, you know induce the change further down. So then the species that they themselves are preying up. Uh, upon will decline because there are more predators now and so like and you be, like basically you increase this uh, imbalance in the system and you uh, introduce instability in the system and we know that you know like basically all ecosystems behave in a similarish way that the uh, more uh, inter um, interconnected nodes are there in the ecosystem the better ecosystem deals with change the better ecosystem deals with you know threats and now uh, 
like in our age now that you know we're changing the planet to a, a very uh, high extent, uh, the the threats that um, are like basically the threats to each ecosystem on the planet um, are high and they vary a lot, right? It's not only just the temperatures increasing, it's also, you know, because the temperatures increasing, the species who like, you know, different, like specific climate, they will be migrating either north or south, right, to get to the specific climate. And then the, you know, plants will change, the animals will change, the ones that they inhabit the specific place. So the ecosystems will get invaded by a species of the um, neighboring ecosystems, regardless of what we do. Mm. But if we introduce a uh, additional threat to that ecosystem, we basically put it closer to the brink of extinction. It's, I mean, it's studied, it's not obviously as well studied with uh, ma macro ecosystems as well studied with, you know, microbial ecosystems. And obviously there are differences. But what we see is that if you have a diverse microbial ecosystem, that uh, ecosystem is um, much less prone to collapse when you introduce factors that are, you know, species independent. When you increase the temperature, or whether you increase the salinity, whether you do anything like that, when you basically put them in the suboptimal conditions, if you have uh, like a system that is more diverse, it is much um, more likely to survive those conditions. So if you, uh, you know, introduce foxes and then foxes become the only predator. So before foxes in Australia, you would have, you know, all kinds of different predators, right? I mean, more kinds of different predators because they will be preying on monitors, they will be preying on snakes, and they will be preying on everything else. And now they become the top predator, them and cats. And all the the um, percentage of the other predators and their role in the ecosystem is severely diminished. So in that in, in that case, you know, as soon as you then remove those top predators in the way that, you know, if they fall to the disease, given that they're already integrated into the ecosystem to the point where they integral to the ecosystem, obviously, uh, then you disrupt the entire ecosystem and then the ecosystem will collapse. So the priority should not be, I guess, to eradicate all the invasive species just but the priority would be to eradicate them as soon as possible before they become integral part of the novel ecosystems, because then it will take, uh, yeah, very, very, very for a second, because then it will take several centuries before the ecosystem will reach a new balance, a new equilibrium. It will take several generations, and right now we're entering the point where we actually don't have those uh, several generations, because for the next several generations we will have, we, I mean, a, uh, I think we are going to have some uh, like profound changes in planet in general. Sure. So I mean, I think you make many good points, um, and I think some of your points actually speak to the fact that eradicating uh, alien species should not be a priority. So you, you've spoken <laughs> quite a little bit about uh, ecosystem integrity and complexity as a buffer for a complex system. I mean, that's kind of a general theory, you know, whether it holds true across you know, all systems is, is a matter of considerable debate, but it, it seems intuitively obvious that complexity is a buffer for ecosystems. So, you know, I would, I would agree with that. I do think that part of what's operative here is a kind of a, a nostalgic or maybe, a, well, there's nostalgia and then there's a romantic idea. And of course, the two are very interrelated. I think there's a romantic idea of nature being in balance in the first place. And, um, you know, we, we do talk about equilibrium in, in ecosystems. We talk about equilibrium in a lot of complex systems. But that equilibrium is a very dynamic equilibrium with all kinds of change taking place over various timescales. And you've actually hinted at some of this yourself. Um, there are many factors which can shift ecosystems away from some kind of equilibrium or which just contribute to the dynamic nature of that equilibrium. So one of those sorts of things would be uh, a dramatic you know, climate change event. And we know there have been many dramatic climate change events in the past. We know that the current one is, is anthropogenic but there have been you know, volcanic eruptions, 
there have been, um, you know, more... I mean, these are things that can compare or even are more rapid than anthropogenic climate change. So things like volcanic eruptions or meteorite impacts. And, of course, some of those things have caused really mass extinctions and, and ideally we, we'd like to, to avoid that if, if we possibly can. There are also obviously changes in climate that take place over longer periods of time, um, you know, cycles, glacial periods, interglacial periods, etc. All of these have a very large impact on that dynamic equilibrium. They shift it into different directions. And extinction and bottlenecking so precipitous declines in biodiversity are a regrettable, from our perspective, but natural part of the evolutionary history that has shaped these ecosystems. So I think you know we we simply should acknowledge this romant like the the influence of this romantic ideal on the way we think. We would love ecosystems to be very biodiverse, we because. Living in a world without, you know, incredible diversity of animals, even if we don't go and see them, just knowing that they're out there is something that can be massively enriching to our lives. So it's going to kind of suck for us, it already does suck for us, that we are losing a lot of biodiversity. There are other issues to do with ecosystem integrity, of course, which are slightly separate from our, our purely aesthetic enjoyment of ecosystems. But again... You know, the ecosystems themselves don't care. The planet doesn't care. But humans, we sit around caring about this kind of stuff. We sit around, uh, you know, worrying about it and wanting to keep that ecosystem integrity intact as though we are somehow the stewards of nature. Like another, another thing, another factor which can, can massively, uh, well, which contributes to this dynamic nature of the equilibrium of ecosystems is the invasion of new species. Not introduced species, as in by humans, but the invasion of new species that can occur from rafting events, that can occur after extreme weather events, that occurs because of climate shifting patterns, as you've mentioned. Things migrate, they move um, along with the climate into areas that are, are better for them. Um, and then we have this also very natural process where in which one species, one evolved species of animal, humans, brings along a, you know, a menagerie of other animals and, and introduces them as well. Um, but this, again, is kind of the tail end of the process. And so I just want to bring us back to a focus on, on, on these invasive species. And I want to say that Again, they're very easy to malign, but if you take a simple example, like if you go to Hyde Park in London, it's full of grey squirrels. Now, when I was growing up in, in England, everybody hated the grey squirrels because we all knew that they, had, they were aggressive American invaders and they had driven out the red squirrels. But the truth of the fact is, we now know, and I mean, I'm sure people knew back then as well, um, but the, the, the real story is that the red squirrel is very sensitive to habitat disruption. It can live in healthy forests, but it can't live in highly modified and highly disturbed environments. It's very shy. It's not going to deal with the, the amount of, of, of foot traffic and dog traffic and all those things in Hyde Park. So ultimately, in order to have ecosystem integrity in the future, given that you know humans have already modified habitats to the nth degree. Even our attempts to conserve habitats are part of our niche modification impulse. We now realize we'd like niches that have ecosystem integrity, that have biodiversity. We can't go back to some sort of pre-human thing, and that's kind of a nonsensical idea in the first place. So what we really need is we need species that are robust, that can cope with the kinds of changes we have and are likely to inflict, if you want to use that emotive term, inflict, 
we are likely to cause on ecosystems. And really, these synanthropic invasive species, which cop so much hate, they are the foundations of the new biodiversity that can restore ecosystem integrity in the future. You know, give up the nostalgic um, idea that we're going to go back to some kind of Edenic past, some pre-human ideal. What we need is we need to think like evolutionists. We need to understand that future ecosystems are not past ecosystems. They are going to be irrevocably stamped with the impact of, of, of us as the niche modifiers. And we need species to create a synanthropic biodiversity. And if we now go out and, and eradicate all of those species which actually have the chance to be those very important common ancestors of future biodiversity, we might end up with no biodiversity at all. So, I mean, in, in the very short term, it's like, would you rather a Hyde Park with grey squirrels or with no squirrels, because those are the options. It's not grey squirrels or red squirrels. And then if you think towards the future, would you like an ecosystem with some integrity and some complexity, or would you like to try and, you know, very artificially, um, well, <laughs> you know, as artificial as anything humans do, which is, of course, all part of nature, but... Would you like to try and restore all these these fragile and vulnerable species and hope that they are going to be able to restore a, an ecosystem with great integrity that humans can also live in and enjoy? Or do you want to be a realist and say, look, these much, you know, gray squirrels and foxes and, and cats, these are actually really valuable in the sense that they are the future ancestors of the next wave of biodiversity. This mass extinction, maybe it's inevitable, but we need to make sure that we preserve the species that can give us biodiversity in the future. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, <laughs> some are valid points, I guess. I can't argue with some of them. Thank you. But I can definitely argue with some other ones. The ones Good. that, you know, you think, like, you know, one of the points is, like, we need to have robust species that will provide us with biodiversity. Mm -hmm. So if we introduce a species that, you know, by definition will, you know, uh, facilitate the decline of biodiversity, then we don't want that species and we want to do something with it, you know. And it's like, you know, for instance, you have that, you know, what's the face, um, some gazelle uh, in, like, oryx in mm -hmm. uh, U.S., right? And we, they introduced it for game hunting. Mm -hmm. And now they have a lot of that in U.S. and Mexico, and it keeps migrating from Mexico to U.S., like in southern U.S. and back. And it's a great vector for a lot of diseases, especially cattle diseases and in oil and just like, you know, mammalian diseases, I guess, for, you know, undulates. And so just because it, A, it migrates on the um, territories that others don't, it, uh, you know, uh, brings diseases from point A to point B, basically from U.S. to Mexico and back. And it's doing well for itself, but then all the uh, other undulates, including cattle, that can be um, susceptible to, you know, those viruses or something, you know, bacteria, whatever it is, they, you know, are suffering. And so not only we're losing the biodiversity of the related species that are native species that would otherwise would be those robust species that you were talking about, but because, you know, they have low immunity or they don't just deal with those viruses well, they're in decline. Or maybe they just numbers are less than, you know, of the uh, that gazelle because gazelle is also taking the, you know, grazelands that they were used to graze. And... Um, so you're not introducing like a pillar of a new biodiversity. You're introducing like, you know, an acid into biodiversity that just eats everything out. <laughs> but, and as well, what you have is you have an impact, negative impact on, uh, you know, human activities. So you have problems with cattle then, and then we have problems with, you know, food that we want to have. And given the uh, number of humans on the planet, like we don't want to have this problem now. Maybe, you know, like if this... The ideal of having, uh, like, tolerating normal ecosystems is, you know, is a great ideal, and I'm all for that. And obviously, you know, evolution goes through change, and, you know, we don't have dinosaurs anymore, and, you know, we don't have huge birds anymore. But at the same token, I guess my point would rather, I would rather concentrate not on the fact that we need to preserve them just, but we need to preserve the 
intact ecosystems as they are now because that will give them a buffer to withstand all the uh, changes of the climate that we're going in now. So it's more like, you know, we have prediction that, you know, human population will increase. So the human weight on global ecosystem will also increase. And so we don't want to increase it furthermore. And if we have invasive species that um, disrupt the ecosystems on their own and also disrupt human activities like human farming or, you know, human uh, cattle ranching, whatever, we then this by definition will increase our weight on the ecosystem more because we will farm more and we will make more cattle to compensate for that. And uh, so basically the I guess the the fact that now the planet is going to change and we want ecosystem to survive. So we need to do everything we could for them to survive at this point. And then later, when we stabilize, whether you know it will be human population that stabilizes, or the uh, planet will reach new temperature uh, system, like whichever you know happens. So after that, yes, you know we can entertain the idea of novel ecosystems. But right now, because we're kind of going into the unknown, uh, so we don't want you know to accidentally just you know destroy ecosystems just because we did not do something to you know make them more uh, more stable make them more robust and like i mean you're right that you know invasive species will and can act as you know the beginning of novel ecosystems and because you know they were acting as such in their previous ecosystems right but in order to act as as those uh, you know stable elements of novel ecosystems now they have to have some time to pass they have the novel ecosystem has to arise and it doesn't it happen within you know a decade it happens i mean maybe within a decade if you have fast breeding species but like it happens within you know several decades at least but and, it's, it's already a novel ecosystem um yeah but it's not as like you know novel ecosystem wouldn't be as stable it won't be as obviously this novel ecosystem but it won't be as stable as robust as the previous one because the previous one is more adapted to you know at least the landscape that they're occupying and the flora and fauna that's there and then when you're disrupting the flora and fauna you don't have the um like uh, the you know whatever flora and fauna that the invasive species is used to so it's also not doing at its optimal level so okay can i can i jump in there um if there it, you, go. you know if it wasn't able to adapt to that ecosystem it wouldn't be a problem intrinsically so the reason yeah, the reason it can adapt like it obviously can adapt but it's, my point is that it's still not at its optimal level it yes. can be doing better. it will be doing better given time but the point is that we we are not sure whether we have that time absolutely i mean that that is in fact the key point we don't know i mean as you've said very eloquently we are marching into an unknown future. With Event horizon is very, very close. We cannot predict what ecosystems will be like on the other side of that. So, and there are a number of other issues that you've raised that I want to address, but what we have, the best evidence that we have for species being highly adaptable to change, for species that can be translocated from one environment to another and nonetheless do extremely well, can in fact do extremely well in a diversity, in a plurality of environments, comes from synanthropic species and invasive species. And what we have in the future, as you've said, is we don't know what kind of environment we're going to have. So what we, all we do know is that we're going to need the most robust species to cope with that new environment. So you can translocate things in space, as humans have often done, but there's also a temporal translocation here. There's a, a dynamic process. It's going very rapidly now. Environments are changing, and we don't know what they're going to be, and we don't know what the idea... There's no way we can know what is the right ecosystem. So, you know... What all, the best evidence we have is that some species are able to cope with a lot of change and other species aren't. And it's very tragic to lose those vulnerable species. But the likelihood is, if we're going through a period of extreme and rapid change, that we're going to lose those species. Um, 
So what we need to ensure is that we don't now turn around and try and exterminate the only species that can cope with that kind of change. Because it's, it's ignorance on all, on all fronts here, you know. So you, we don't know what this optimal ecosystem of the future is. And we can't simply argue that the ecosystem of the past is the optimal ecosystem of the future. There is no point in the past where we can say that's the ecosystem we want because we want this robust ecosystem for the future. So in Australia, you know, there have been numerous um, arrivals, let's say, uh, whether you want to call them introduced species would be an interesting philosophical um, question. So humans arrived. You know, humans came of their own accord. Um, so I guess they're not an introduced species. And just like many other species, they have radiated into new areas. So 60,000 years ago or so, humans arrived in Australia. There's pretty solid evidence that humans, uh, the indigenous, the original human inhabitants of the continent, contributed to the wiping out of the Australian megafauna, whether that's through hunting, whether that's through burning. You know, they wanted to make... Um, the wet, dry tropics safer for themselves, so they would burn, do a lot of burning to make sure that there weren't going to be catastrophic late dry season fires. You do a burn at the beginning of the dry season, um, and you reduce the fuel load so that it's not so catastrophic in the future. So they changed the environment a lot, and a lot of species went extinct. Okay, then a little bit later on, say maybe 15,000 years ago, or there's a lot of debate about this, dingoes came, and dingoes were brought by humans we you know we believe brought they're, they're descended from asian dogs that came across with humans who were trading perhaps um through that and of course we know there have been many land bridges in eastern indonesia and between new guinea and australia and there's been a lot of admixture of species in that region anyway dogs got here presumably they had a very big impact as the first carnivoran from the you know first predator from the order carnivora to arrive here they probably had a huge impact but now, because they've been here, and we're only talking in evolutionary time, a very short period of time, they've been here 10 to 15,000 years, we now consider them one of the saviours. In, in environments where you have a healthy dingo population, you've got a lot less dogs and cats. Um, so we look at them as a good, quote-unquote, native species, even though they're a very, very recent arrival. Um, so then we have Europeans arriving. <laughs> okay, that's it. Uh, that's the end of the debate. Um, well, anyway. Okay. I have to say that, first of all, it's quite hard to defend a uh, thing. I mean, like, for later, for later uh, discussions, we probably yeah. have to make it less, you know, um, like, categorical. Because I think the it has to be the priority is kind of being slightly... Um, more than one can defend. But then also it's somewhat interesting to try to defend the point of view that you yourself don't necessarily agree with. Sure. And then you find a new ways to defend it. Because I I think that, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I completely agree with the novel ecosystem thing. and But I also kind of, you know, now debating it somewhat, I uh, find that I'm actually also somewhat sympathetic to the to the idea that we first want to go through, you know, the changes, and then we want to kind of experiment with everything. Yeah, because I think, I, I mean, that's part of the point. It has to be somewhat categorical, because that way we can reveal the truth on both sides of the debate. I mean, if we have yeah. a less categorical thing, we're just going to end up agreeing, because we tend to both have very nuanced... I mean, we won't necessarily agree because we tend to disagree on very fine points on everything, but... <laughs> well, that's exactly it, actually. We tend to disagree when we actually agree on most so, things. So the thing yeah. is, if we don't have categorical things, then it'll just yeah. be like us having our normal conversations. So I think that having a categorical um, proposition could help us to, to, to do this. Anyway, I mean, let's, let's now, because obviously I'm still recording, so let's let's continue the discussion, but now you're free to, you know, not support the proposition or I'm free to um, to uh, to support it. The thing that I haven't had time to fully develop mm. and I don't necessarily have to develop it in that line now anyway mm. is that the, uh, you know, 
the way humans perceive a system is also important. Yeah, so of course. Kind of, yeah. You, yeah, I mean, obviously, you kind of dismissed it in some sense uh, because you're like, we have to get rid of that idea, that, you know, romantic idea. But that idea, you know, is valuable to humans. So sure. if, you know, we probably want our grandchildren to see, you know, well, like whatever, kangaroos, yeah. I don't know, some snakes that, you know, can go extinct because of... Uh, uh, cane toes or you know some frogs that go extinct because of the fungus that yeah. is spreading uh we like it's also like the just the what the values of humans are i think equally important as just the importance of ecosystem because a I lot of nature agree. conservation goes from the perspective of let's save nature for the sake of nature absolutely used to do, used to go that way and i think you know that's what i was trying to actually point yeah. out is it's not that we need to get rid of the romantic point of view as such because you know i'm a passionate defender of of biodiversity and i mean i have been really my entire life you know i've obviously love animals that's why i'm a biologist you know and i i don't want to live in a world that doesn't have this incredible diversity i want us to be honest about that motivation and then in being honest in understanding that really the reason we want to preserve ecosystems is you know a major motivating factor is our own benefit and that applies to ecosystem integrity as well because there are ecosystem services that we want to be able to avail ourselves of once we make that acknowledgement, we can then also look at arguments. Um, I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. I'm saying that they need to be on the table concerning the way in which that romantic idea might distort our perception of what exactly is the right course yeah. of action. Yeah, I, I mean, that's obviously... I mean, like, okay, avoiding the word obviously as much as possible, <laughs> but still I'm... Yeah. <laughs> I truly avoid using it. Yeah. yeah, okay. This, I think, is true. Uh, uh, so, yeah, we probably need to get rid of the romantic idea. and We probably need to, you know, actually see that if we care for nature as just nature, then nature just wants to continue on. And the exact way of it continuing on does not matter for nature. Because, you know, Cambrian explosion is one thing, and then, you know, this, what will happen now, will also, like, maybe created the new opportunities for species that will survive the anthropogenic yeah. extinction Every mass to extinction. create new lineages and so, nature will be good at the end anyway yeah. but uh, as you're saying the um uh, like the services that ecosystems do to us they are important because you know if you have to spend x amount of million dollars cleaning um, phone lines from kudzu vines in where you previously haven't had to, mm. then, you know, it creates a burden on us, and so it creates the unnecessary burden on us. Although, and hang on, I mean, how much are you going to spend eradicating the kudzu vine? I mean, that might be a bit of a fallacious argument there, because... There's, it costs a lot of money to try and eradicate alien species. Yeah. And they may be ineradicable as well. So it may be money that's not well spent. So maybe it ends up being a lot cheaper to just clean your phone lines. Than to maybe, actually... maybe. But the point, I guess, goes that, you know, you need to uh, recognize the uh, invasive species and the threat they pose to ecosystem early on and then try to deal with that. Mm. Uh, but obviously, you know, the... Uh, Major threats to uh, you know human activities are threats to farming and you know sure. cattle breeding. Sure. Like because we all like that obviously you know is one of the uh, biggest ways we use land. And so if yeah. something else comes there and then suddenly you know your cows are all dying yeah. or you know there's like cacti that they can't eat like in Australia right in twenties. So yeah. like those of cacti. So you you have problem and you know. We also, I mean, like, we can consider humans as ecosystem, in, essentially, in, in a, like, larger sense, right? Um, just our activities and well, what we, we are, do is, well, you know... Not that, we can, not that we can consider huh? that. It's not that we can consider that. We have to consider that. Humans are niche yeah. modifiers, so we create an ecosystem yeah. that yeah. suits us. So the human ecosystem, and uh, it also, you know, has finite amount of resources that it can spend dealing with, you know, to adapt to uh, new climates and to adapt to, you know, all the changes that it itself brings on its own, on, on itself. So 
if we put additional strain onto that, you know, if we like don't have enough food, like we will just claim more of the ecosystem, I guess, and more of the you no know, untamed. Maybe uh, or maybe maybe we'll go through a bottleneck, and the you know the really diehard conservationists who think the world would be better off without humans or with a massive reduction in human numbers, maybe they'll get what they want. Uh, you know, so I think the overarching point is that this is a very, very complex uh, area of, um, of discussion and that any, any simplistic view, which is that, you know, invasive species good or invasive species bad is clearly going to, to completely miss the point that ecosystems are, as you've said, you know, extremely complex and, and also, as I said, you know, they, they are quintessentially open systems. Uh, they're always receiving things from... I mean, there is no outside, right? Yeah, um, there is no outside. <laughs> and essentially, there is no non-invasive species because, you know, wolves yeah. originated in North America. Sure, and, and then they went to Europe. Yeah. And then you have European gray wolf. And then, you mm. know, camels originated in whichever. And then they go, sure. like, I think it's, you know, some... Southern Africa, and then they went to you know colonize everything else, including Australia. So sure. So we have the, we have this we have this prejudice against yeah. what humans yeah, have hold done. Hold on. So yeah. what what I was going to say mm. is that then painting the is you know some species that we arbitrarily decide that they are invasive because mm. you know we brought them there or they came there you know when we saw you know them coming uh, is. Uh, and then branding them as enemies. This mm. is weird to me. Yeah. If you are for animals, if you are mm. for nature, then you can't just say that this part of nature is good part of nature and that part of nature is bad part of yeah. nature and it's an enemy. Like, the way, you know, people will, like, you know, because that mentality allows then people to see individual animals as enemies, like cane toads, right? Yes. And then bash them with baseball bats. But the individual cane toad isn't that different from as individual yeah. animal, from, you know, individual Australian, native Australian frog, quote-unquote native. Exactly. So which I, you don't bash. And when you see, like, oh, this is a cuddly cute frog, like... Absolutely. Mm. I, I think people people use this notion of invasive species to indulge their kind of basest um, elements of their animalistic nature. You know, people want to bash things. I mean, you know, we've spoken about this many times. And of course, I grew up in a community of reptile obsessed people who absolutely hate cane toads, who absolutely hate cats who absolutely hate anything that they perceive as a threat to their animals of interest. Um, well, and, you know, obviously particularly non-native species, although most of them are also very happy for kangaroos to be culled for, for arguments that we can also get into, which, which center around the notion that, you know, human modification of the environment has actually been very beneficial for certain creatures like large macropods. And they're in very large numbers, so we should shoot them and we should eat them because it's a healthy source of meat, whatever. But so many people in those sorts of communities, they do, is exactly as you've said, they, you know, they run over cane toads, they get out and they're, they're you know, actually cruel to the animals. You know, they, they shoot cats, they run out, they gleefully you know, I've been in the car, I mean, growing up in this community and as like a, as a teenager and a young teenager and going out driving with people looking for snakes who would put their foot down really hard on the accelerator when a hare ran across the road, for example, run over it with a sickening crunch and just sort of, you know, yahoo gleefully that they just killed this animal. I mean, that was very confronting for me. And I, but Myself, you know, as a teenager, you know, into my late teens, I would run over cane toads. And it's, it's like, oh, we're doing our little bit for the ecosystem. Of course, you're not doing, like, running over an individual cane toad has absolutely no impact on the impact that cane toads have. You know, if you want to eradicate cane toads, that's a different thing. And, of course, you know, there are interesting ways of doing that, like pheromone traps, which you can use to empty individual water bodies of tadpoles within a very short period of time and that kind of stuff. But ro running them over just is killing them in a particularly brutal uh, way and getting out of the car and bashing them or, or, you know, on golf courses, hitting them with golf clubs. So I think we use this 
I mean, this is exactly what you're getting at. I guess I'm just elaborating, but we use this label of a species as invasive as a way of justifying our our need to be violent towards some living thing, yeah. you know. And I yeah, find it gives that very us li- license to be violent. It gives that license so that you know glee that we like. It's you know? moral violence, you know. In that case, yeah. It's like it's like you know righteousness, but exactly. in a way, it's exactly that. It's not. It's not even in a way that it's like I can do this, and we've talked about this in different contexts. But you know, I can do this thing which I really want to do because I have this deep motivation to be violent. I can do it, and it's actually the right thing to do. So there's, yeah. there's no breaks yeah. anymore. Stopping, like making someone consider that maybe this animal is going to be in pain if I smash it with a golf club. You know. Um, Mm, yeah. not, none of that. Like you can hunt those oryx gazelles all through. Yeah. I keep forgetting the name there. Like Pemsbrook, Schmemsbrook gazelle. Uh, they are. They, you can hunt them all throughout the year in the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. And you don't have any regulations on you know how you kill them, what you kill. You know, do you kill young? Do you kill old? Like you just can kill them. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and of course, just as an aside, I don't have an intrinsic issue and, but, with hunting. But what, yeah, what's for... what's amazing is that nature lovers support that. Yeah, that's destroy. Sure. Yeah, no, it is. It is. A, I mean, it's a fascinating thing to 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 consider. I mean, where I was going at the end of the discussion is that there is no. I mean, we have this nostalgia that. You know, which ecosystem are we trying to trying to restore things to? Are we trying to restore things to the you know the pre-European arrival in Australia? You know, so ecosystems of two hundred and fifty years ago. Are we trying to restore them to the pre-dingo? Are we trying to restore them to the pre-human? You know, there is no point which you can select and just say this was the best. We simply don't have. I think ignorance is just a really important thing here. We simply don't have the knowledge to know what are the ecosystems that are going to survive whatever changes are coming. And, I mean, there's, there's also a fatalistic aspect in what I was advocating, which is that in some cases, these invasive species, absolutely, they've had a big impact. I mean, much more than cane toads, cats and foxes have had a huge impact in Australia. But they are here, you know, and eradicating them may not be possible so what we do know, and I think this is a legitimate point, what we know about cats and foxes and many other species, rodents and, and you know, cockroaches and many, many synanthropic species, is that they are very robust to change. And that is the best piece of evidence that we have to suggest that these are things that are going to come through any severe bottlenecks. Whereas a lot of very specialist species are, are, maybe aren't going to. So yeah, koalas are not going to make it. No, I mean, yeah, if if you know the twenty or so species of eucalypt that koalas prefer out of the hundred or so that they do occasionally eat, you know, if if those go extinct, koalas are going to go extinct. You know, uh, and we know they're very vulnerable to to um, overpopulation in small areas, and that's caused by land clearing. It's not caused by uh, you know invasive species. We clear away the eucalypts, koalas concentrate in certain areas, or on some islands. We've introduced koalas to certain islands, uh, like Kangaroo Island, in order to preserve the species that we, we choose as, as a, valu- a valuable species to conserve. And in a small area, they go wild and they breed massively. And the eucalypts there haven't evolved. I mean, so they are an invasive species in that context. The eucalypts there, which are species that koalas like to eat, have not evolved under the threat of koalas. So the leaves have far lower, um, you know, toxic secondary metabolite levels in them. They are much less um, fibrous. So the koalas just have free reign. They overpopulate and then their disease enters the population. So uh, Yeah, so I mean, all these considerations are just very, very complicated. Uh, and I'm just against the idea that we know. I mean, it's just a funny prescription. Humans have modified the environment, therefore we need to continue modifying it by by killing off the new species or whatever. You know, it's it's trying to treat the issue with the issue. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying yeah. that, that there's no scope for that either. I do think there is scope for that. I just think it's got to be, you know, eyes have to be open. People have to be willing to have these discussions. Um, yeah. 
Like, I mean, it has to be the A, dispassionate. And if we want yeah. to do something about it, it has to be stripped. Like, it has to have, you know, practical aim. And practical aim and for, informed by, you know, the best pieces of evidence we have without just, you know, saying, hey, we like it like this, let's have it like this. Unless this, you know, our aim, unless this is exactly what we want to do, right? As long as but, we're honest about so that. Yeah. Just to kind of, you know, <laughs> somewhat... Uh, like have a bottom line is that it's not that you know either of us are against the whole idea of controlling for invasive species and probably yeah. you know there is a sense in controlling you know cats in New Zealand or you know sure. foxes in Australia and Ferrets there are probably some of those methods will involve killing those you know animals yeah, but course. there are a lot of other methods that you know you just neuter them you you know like there are many ways to do that uh, so but so like the it's not that fighting against invasive species is just ridiculous as an idea. It's more like the way it's done now yeah. and the reasons for it, they are largely not in accordance with our aims, our goals, and, you know, the uh, things that we do and things that we see, basically. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, any given strategy for for achieving the, the larger goal of, of restoring ecosystem integrity has to be done in light of the best available evidence on all uh, perspectives. So any, any control, of course, you know, classically, uh, some of the worst invasive species were introduced as biological controls to control other invasive <laughs> species, you know, like cane toads are the classic example. On the other hand, you, you know, you brought up prickly pear, the cactoblastus moth, which was brought in as a biological control of the, of the prickly pear, that was very, very successful. And now there is a small population of cactoblastus moth left in Australia, and we, we very much want to preserve those moths. You know, Introduced though they are, we want to ensure that they are part of any novel ecosystem of the future, because... Otherwise, the prickly pear might take over. So, you know, it's just there are, you know, cost-benefit analyses have to be done at all these different levels. Okay. Okay.